Hello and uh, welcome. It's uh, what is it? Thursday afternoon, and I'm delighted to be joined uh, by uh, Wendy Whitaker Large. It's actually this is actually Wendy's show, and we're doing it. <laughs> so um, over to you. Well, David, I have to say thank you, a big, big thank you to you for sorting out the technology on this one because uh, my streaming system wasn't working very well, so I've jumped onto yours. But really, I should be inviting you as my guest today, and I, I would be obviously delighted at some point to to return the favour. Um, but I, I first of all, uh, just briefly introduce myself. My name is Wendy. If you haven't come across me before, uh, my main thrust in property investing is to help people become financially free through investing in houses of multiple occupation. I think if I went on mastermind and uh, they asked me what my specialist subject would be, that would be my specialist subject, HMOs. Uh, but I do invest in vitalettes and commercial property as well. So in the world of investing, uh, I've met very many interesting people along my journey and none other than, than David. David, who has been uh, somebody I, I sort of stumbled upon a few years ago and somebody who has who piqued my interest even at that early stage because of his content, his approach and his experience. So, David, perhaps for people who don't know you, would you mind giving yourself a brief introduction? Um, yeah, thank you, Wendy. Um, well, I've been in uh, property now for getting on for 40 years, not quite 40, but it's 40 in a year or two's time. Um, and in that time, I've done exciting stuff. I'm a, a kind of quite a boring fellow, really. I do, you know, the vanilla stuff and, and, and just rinse and repeat. And, um, and, and that ticks the boxes for me. I do have uh, something of an understanding of, of how property cycles work and, and, and when to do what and, and, and that kind of thing. And, and, I, and I enjoy what I do. Um, I'm, I'm a great believer that um, uh, in any work, in, in, in anything you're doing if you're not enjoying it um then you should switch to something else because then it doesn't become work and, and i'm happy to get a phone call at 3 a.m about something or other because i i i live and breathe property mm, that's fantastic and with your years of experience you have obviously seen many different challenges and uh, changes in terms of property cycles property prices economic policy and i suppose global economics as well and i'm sure that you'd agree that we are in a, a very unusual time right now because of coronavirus the impact that's had across the world and for us, I think as UK property investors, we can often look at our, uh, our our investments as being very, very local. You know, most people invest in maybe one or two, maybe three different locations, generally within England, possibly in the UK, and, and possibly having properties further afield. Uh, but I think that for many people, we're often very English focused, we're England focused, but this coronavirus has of course affected the whole world and, and the, the global economy which I'm very interested in I'm fascinated in to see how this is going to play out so if I could start maybe by asking you David what are your thoughts about how coronavirus long term might affect the property market in the UK uh, I don't think long term it will, to be honest. So that's so, so that's kind of uh, the good news, I guess. Although there are there are one or two um, prov provisos to that, which which we'll get to in a moment. But this this was a short, sharp shock. Um, nobody in, in government or anywhere expected it to be over in three weeks when they announced the lockdown in March. Um, it's just a matter of um, it takes eighteen. Even if you get rid of all the bureaucracy, it takes eighteen months 
to develop an effective vaccine to something. There are 300 vaccine candidates to this 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 nasty bug. 30 of them are in stage three trials. Um, we just we we have to inject a few, uh, say 10, 20, 30,000 people with this to make sure a that the vaccine works and b that the side effects to the vaccine aren't worse than the thing that it's trying to uh, prevent. So that's what we're kind of waiting for. And, and financial markets kind of factored in uh, in, in early summer that they, they were factoring in this all being over by about now, which, which was never going to happen realistically. But um, uh, as long as we um, wear our masks, wash our hands and stay two meters apart, I'm a great believer in those three things. Uh, we'll be fine until the old vaccine uh, uh, comes along. Apropos property, uh, specifically in the UK, we were all cooped up, weren't we, and going absolutely bananas, doolally, uh, over March, April, May, whatever. And, and so when when um, when the, the, the floodgates were opened, really, it's that, isn't it, when we were released um, out, um, there was a, a, a flurry of, of, of people wanting to buy property. It was um, a bit like the kind of a de the delayed spring boost that property gets every year, but it was manic. Uh, and, and a lot of property got sold, but it was short lived because then people thought, well, hang on, I'll have to pay back my bounce back loan. And um, hang on, when when furlough ends up, am I still going to have my job? So we've already started now, although it hasn't been reflected in the figures, but I can tell you absolutely that we've started the, uh, the sort of temporary downturn. But this is an 18 year property cycle compressed into, if you like, 18 months. Yes, absolutely. And I think that the, the turmoil that COVID has presented has also had a very big effect on lending. It's obviously reduced interest rates across the world. So this has also had knock-on effects. Um, and I think that what we're seeing right now, as you say, is the sort of tail end of maybe the boost that happened because of the um, removal of stamp duty on properties up to £500,000. And uh, I think, uh, uh, as you said, a lot of pent up demand already there and people going out and thinking, OK, right, now's my opportunity. Now I've got some freedom. I can go out and buy property. So we've obviously seen that happening. Uh, however, we've also seen uh, tightening of lending to first time buyers. And uh, again, I'd like I'd like to get your reflections on that, David. What, what do you think? How do first time buyers affect the property market? Um, that's a, a, a very, very good question, Wendy, and it's it, it's all down to that thing of of, of chains in, in in property, whereby uh, I'm selling hypothetically because I don't own one, but my two million pound penthouse or whatever overlooking Hyde Park, which would probably be twenty million pounds, wouldn't it? And then all the way down the chain, we get down to this um, I don't know seventy thousand pound flat in Putney. That's probably a bit underpriced as well. Um, <laughs> and, um, and 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 then the flat at the bottom falls over in, in state agent parlance uh, they call it falling out of bed uh, and and so this, this this guy right at the top or or, or the people near the top of of, of this chain are, are going absolutely mental about this and and what often happens is the guy at the top will buy the plat at the bottom and then everything kicks in or as property investors sometimes as you know we come into the middle of that chain and we do what we call a chain buster where we we buy at a discount some property in the middle of the chain and we ask all the people in the chain to make a contribution as well which brings the price down still further that's today's uh, tip of the day um and um and, and so uh, so 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 you know that's that's the situation uh, kind of that we're facing um and if first time buyers find it much harder and 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 you know back in my day i mean uh, 10 years before i started investing i'll tell you about my first ever flat um i bought it for 28000 pounds 
uh, and this is a two bedroom flat overlooking a park in zone two. Um, and I was very peeved that um, th this was 1985. I was very peeved that in 1975, it had been sold for 10,000 pounds. I thought, oh, <laughs> Like 50, or 50 half a million um, um, um whatever so it is much the the earnings multiples that first-time buyers need uh in order to be able to to, to buy things ha have got insane uh when i started it was about two and a half times salary which was which, which is okay and people have got around that certainly developers have got around this um with, with, with these shared ownership schemes um which are not very good when the first-time buyer comes to trade up because they find then that they haven't got all the equity to move into the next one that they thought they had because some of it belongs to the developer um and and, and so that's an, an an issue for people uh move, moving forward uh and, and and then um if 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 it's not from a developer if you're you're buying from a private person or whatever you, you know um you're equally in trouble you've got help to buy again which is these help people to get on the ladder, but they don't help them to move up the ladder. And what the banks are doing at the moment is, as, as well is not helping matters. And this is not going to grease the wheels moving forward. The, the government's uh, taken a huge hit by doing this thing with stamp duty. And it would have been nice if, if, if the banks had, had, had continued in the same vein, really. So tell me a little bit more about your views about what's going on with the, 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 the banking sector and uh, I suppose with central banks as well. Um, well, um, it's it's difficult for them uh, as, as it is for, for for all of us because there's no template to follow. I mean, I looked when this started. I looked at what happened uh, during uh, Spanish flu, but that was like a hundred years ago. And then we weren't really a nation of homeowners. Most people were renters, and then most of the workforce were dead. To be honest, it was it was a really nasty, vicious thing. So 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 we can't draw parallels for that. I then look back from to the days of bubonic plague. We can't really draw any inferences from that because everybody was I don't know training trading bags of grain or something and and, and going to work on ponies or so 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 you know so we are in in in, in very difficult territory here i mean the, the bank of england makes various forecasts um and even the bank uh traditionally the the, the mainstay of, of of the whole sort of economic thing they have admitted that their um projections are kind of way out there it, 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 it's it's like pulling pulling things out of the air we don't really know how it's going to pan out when the economy in a in, in a single quarter takes more than a, a 20 percent hit to the gdp this is unprecedented it, it, it's the first time ever uh, and, and it might be reasonable to assume that it's all going to bounce back but um not necessarily uh, and there are certain sectors um that have taken obviously big hits and you know aviation and, and the service industries hotels and restaurants and pubs and all this kind of thing but if you think about it that all, all the people who work in these and, and and the banks quite early on took a view about this with with, with mortgage lending as well and that if you're an airline pilot or a michelin chef or something they're going to be less likely to, to to lend to you on income multiples that they would, would take for other professions but if you think about it as well these guys from these other professions they're also customers of the hairdressers and the the other places or or, or or the online retailing or the, the grocery shops or something so, so so their spend is going to contract so so overall the economy contracts and, and, and then we've got um businesses who might not be able to pay back the, the, the those bounce back loans um which basically they just use them to, to to stay afloat and now they have definitely fewer customers than they did and higher bills due, due to the repayment of loans uh the furloughed staff i mean my betting is, and, and, and you can't blame them, that all the employ employers in uh, March of, of, of 2020 would have, would have sat down and said, right, let's have a list of all the people we've furloughed. What do they actually do? 
do we need them uh, in September, October, November, or, or whenever the scheme is is, is going to end? So, so, so we're going to see redundancies um, as well. So, so in in that sense, the economy will be taking more of a hit, perhaps than we anticipated when all this started. But in in a good way, um, there isn't anything fundamentally wrong with the economy. So it will be possible to to all bounce back again in in, in the other sense of bounce back. I think that one of the uh, areas that we perhaps haven't seen a lot of government intervention in just yet, but I think it is coming, is helping people who want to start a business. And, uh, you know, we've seen some help for younger uh, unemployed people who are more likely to, to remain unemployed for a long time uh, once they come off furlough or even currently because they maybe haven't gone to university. And that group of young people sort of between age about 16 to 24 who are deemed to be the most at risk of long term unemployment. We've obviously got the, the quick start scheme. I think it's called quick start scheme, um, which has been introduced. And I think that's a good thing because I think that there are skills that as a as a business owner or an employer that you can pass down. And of course, the government are generous in terms of funding those positions. Then the second um, measures, if you like, they brought in the other day they announced was to do with adult education, adult learning. Again, I'm massively in favor of that because I think that we underestimate how much we carry on learning after 18. We tend to think, you know, our education is done between five and 18. Well, actually, <laughs> I just don't believe that. You, you, I've learned a lot more as an adult that's actually been more applicable to my life, that's made a difference to my life than you know, the, the geography of the sort of outer Hebrides that I might have learned it at, you know, at the age of 12 or whatever I was learning then. Um, there may be interesting things to learn, but how valuable they are long term in terms of skills and uh, applicable uh, knowledge is, is questionable, I think. So for me, the government putting some oomph behind adult learning is really, really good news. And I'm, I'm again, really interested to see how that pans out. Uh, I was listening to a debate actually the other day on the radio where they were talking to a couple of um, employers who work in the construction industry. And these construction employers were saying how hard it has been recently to get brickies, to get electricians, to get uh, jobbing plumbers, uh, not people who are running their own business, but maybe they're in their early 20s, they've come out of college. And they said, you know, employing people who've got the right attitude and the right approach is really a challenge. And there's so few of these people around that we kind of have to take what we what we can get what we can find but actually the the competition is not there and you know i i think this is of course uh, have, uh, having a massive impact on the wider housing economy we know that there aren't enough houses being built and during lockdown where we live there were three housing developments that all basically froze no work was done for probably four months on those housing development sites. Now, that in itself uh, has a very big knock-on effect in terms of uh, jobs, in terms of labour, in terms of pent-up demand as well, and in terms of uh, house prices. So I, I think that this is a really good thing the government's going to do. But the other thing that I'm, I'm kind of interested to see if it does happen, and we haven't yet seen this, but I'm, I might write to Rishi, Rishi gets a regular supply of letters from this household. <laughs> so probably another one won't matter. But is the idea of helping people start a business. Because for me, it's businesses that make the economy go round. 
Now, David, I, I, I've said a lot, and I'm, I'm supposed to be interviewing you here. Um, <laughs> apologies. No, no, no. Um, uh, this is a chat, and and, and, and that's um, as it should be. A couple of things I'll, I'll, I'll pick up on. Uh, number one, um, we are starting from a better place, uh, apropos um, adult education, than, than, than when I was a kid, because um, I came across a couple of days ago on uh, on YouTube uh, a video of a, of a BBC TV series which was called On the Move, and it was a kind of late night TV show, and it had people who went on to become mega famous in it, like um, uh, a very very young Bob Hoskins. Um, it had Martin Shaw, aka Judged on Deeds, and all these kind of people playing bit parts, really, when they were unknowns, um, and and like sitting around. In a, and, and this this was to to promote adult literacy because th there were a serious number of people who couldn't even read, uh, and and it was kind of the shame of it. And all that, and they're all sitting around in this cafe going uh, coffee, coffee. <laughs> And, and, and quite a very patronizing thing, yeah, but, but, but a reflection of how it was then. So we're in a much better place as far as some, um, that's concerned. But you're right that entrepreneurs and, and businesses, and in particular, small businesses, are, are, are the lubrication that keeps society going. We need this. We, we, we need to sort of underpin this. We need to be aware that um, so, so many of these people w will go under. Good, good, good entrepreneurs bounce back. I mean, the, the key to being a success in this life is if, if you're sticking your neck out, you're going to take you get some hits. But it's making a, a, a good recovery and landing in a, in, a, in a better place than you were before. I'm a great fan of this saying uh, fall down seven times and stand up eight. And, and that's certainly been the story of, of, of my life uh, thus far. And, and, and if you look at things like um, well, let's look at the American uh, railroad uh, system or, or indeed uh, the, the Channel Tunnel or all these kind of things. These were built with with massive of investor money and due to the huge uh, sums that were put in to develop this infrastructure they could never have been profitable so the original uh, companies go bust other investors buy in at 10p in the pound or something and suddenly you've got a business and, and, and this is the way that, that sort of things happen let's look at some um, uh, japan which, which which is a very good uh, case in point japan had all these some um, after the boom of the 80s they had all these ghost companies uh, which were just sort of being kept alive they were just barely be being kept alive their trading income uh, was was barely enough to support uh, the, the the massive interest payments they had after all the restructuring and buyouts and, and and this kind of thing and they should really have been polished off they should have been uh, had, had a merciful killing and then they would have been a, a new new shoots would have sprung up like the phoenix would have been yeah. much more profitable and it would have pushed the economy forward so that may be the thing that we'll see in in, in, in q4 2020 q1 q2 21 we, we, we might see some some companies folding and you know the buildings from which they operated will still be there the infrastructure they used will still be there there was a company on the internet i don't know if you're um uh, probably not old enough to remember boo.com that was a, a major fashion retailer that came, boo uh, came around at about the turn of the millennium and they had some wonderful wonderful tech uh, and, and so all their investors were going to the offices and see you it was a clothes retailer so you could rotate the clothes like that and zoom in and out and all this kind of stuff mm -hmm. but we were all at home probably you as well we were on 28k modems and they were seeing this on this broadband connection fantastic and it wouldn't work mm -hmm. for anybody at home so it all went bust but a lot of the um uh, tech that now powers our e-commerce uh, was uh, licensed from you know it was picked out by the receivers from that thing and, and and sold on all the ip for that so so good comes out of bad that's 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 what i'm saying here and i would agree and i think that you know a, a healthy economic cycle will come on to the property cycle but the healthy economic cycle unfortunately i, I it does have boom and bust and and we don't like to consider bust we want to have boom times all the time but actually in, in in an economy which 
you know, is based on principles of supply and demand and, uh, you know, the, the, the best price uh, analogy. You cannot, unfortunately, have summer all year round. Winter is going to come. Contraction is going to come. People, unfortunately, sadly, will lose their jobs. Now, obviously, this has been brought about by COVID, um, which has been, you know, a really sort of phenomenal uh, event which nobody could have really predicted. However, there are many com companies even listed on the stock exchange right now that are very seriously overvalued compared to the, the profits that they're making. And I do wonder whether, you know, the, the, we might see some of that uh, happening. In fact, or even already now, the FTSE is, is coming down gradually. Um, and we may see some, you know, changes to the, the stock market as a result of that. And I think it's very interesting to see what, what you know, how far does your money go these days? And of course, the reason why, um, you know, in the past, we might have had some really good returns on the stock market. And people have often said, well, why do you invest in property? Because look at what I'm getting out my stocks and shares. Well, the reason why I invest in property, I, I do actually invest in the stock market as well. But the reason I invest in property is because actually I can go and touch it and feel it and see it. And it's a real thing. It's an asset. And it provides a service. And one of the issues that I have with some of the, the companies on, on um, that, are, that are listed on the stock exchange is that many of them um, are almost intangible. I, I don't. What do I get actually as a shareholder? What does that company offer uh, to the market? And the, 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 the wonderful. It may feel very basic. It may feel very unexciting. And, and in many ways, it is. But it's a human need for shelter for housing and as as a as an property investor as somebody who who invests in bricks and mortar i believe that actually i'm investing in people's lives as well so it brings a bit of added meaning to me uh, being in this in this industry Yes, uh, my my, uh, my good friend uh, Steve Mitchell doesn't talk about the people who live in his houses as a tenants. He talks about them as customers, and I think that's the the, the, the way to, to to look at this. That, that we are providing a much needed service. I mean, what do people need? They they need food, water, air to breathe, and a roof over their heads. So so these are the fundamental things, and 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 they're going to be needed come rain or shine. Always, some fancy high tech stock will be here today and gone tomorrow, and and, and some kind of dinosauric company that's been around since Victorian times might not be here that next year. But 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 these are a, a, a universal constants that, 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 that fulfill people's basic day to day needs. And I, I think that's something we can be proud of. So, David, when we come to think about property cycles, which has been something you've studied and uh, elucidated to many people and you've, you've illuminated the whole topic for a lot of people, I think, very helpfully. Um, what, 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 what's your take on what's happening now? Do we just see this pandemic as, uh, you know, a black swan event that could never have been predicted and everything's going to go back to normal? Do you think there's going to be some opportunities coming through? How do you see that being kind of shaped as we move forward? Well, that's uh, very interesting, um, Wendy, because at the end of last year, I think it was November, um, I hosted an, an, an event in London. It was a, it was a one-off, and, and, and I found some very good friends from the uh, property world that I'm sure you'll be aware of, some, some really real heavyweight big hitters. Uh, Ranjan Bhattacharya came along on my panel. John Corey came along on my panel. Fiona Talbot was on the panel, Andrew Robertson, and, and myself. And we all spent about 20 minutes. You definitely have another woman on that panel, David. <laughs> uh, the, the next one, the next one, you're, you're going to be there. 
that's your promise. <laughs> That'll be in 2021, I think. Um, and and we all gave our, our in-depth um, insights and our thoughts as to as to what was was going to happen. And, and and we thought long and hard of it uh, about it, all of us. And we all made some predictions, which turned out to be total nonsense. Um, had COVID not come along, I, I think uh, all of what we said uh, would have happened. Uh, so so, so uh, as far as the property um, uh, cycle is concerned, and, and yes, I have um, studied this almost obsessively um, to the point where because I got a bit caught out by the, the, the first property cycle I was in. Uh, that was 1990, I think. And, and, and um, there was some um, Nigella Lawson's dad, Nigel was Chancellor of the Exchequer. Isn't that an amazing thing? And you can see the family likeness. Um, and um, he abolished a thing called Myras, which was where uh, you and I, if we were just friends, could buy a property together and we would both get interest relief against our salaries uh, apropos the mortgage payments. And, and what, what a wonderful, beautiful thing. And, 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 and um, about six months in advance, um, uh, Nigel Lawson announced that this was going to be abolished, that the, the double relief. So everybody rushed to buy properties. Um, I had a property and I, I was sitting pretty. And, and, and this is the one I told you about that I'd spent. It had cost me, uh, well, to be precise, 27. I, you always remember your first property and where it is and how much it cost. It cost me £27,750 sterling, uh, 28 to round numbers. Uh, and, and I got offered cash. 82 if I could complete before this deadline. So just flicking the numbers around. So so tripling my money in uh, three and a half years and in, in, in property. So so that's insane. I uh, being green and, and having to, and thinking more about my day job than this, I just thought, oh, well, probably every obviously triples every two or three years. It must be something that happens. So I, I turned this down. Uh, and, and then I started seeing on the news all the gloom and doom after this deadline had passed. And suddenly nobody wanted to buy property anymore. So I thought, oh, my God. So I was going around to my friends. That, that offer had evaporated. And I was going around to my friends. Well, want to buy a property? Want to buy a property? I had an offer of 50. So so I just decided to keep it. And and, and that was the best thing I ever did. Because otherwise, I'd be a taxi driver now, driving around telling people, don't do property. I tried it once, and it doesn't work. Mm. Uh, and uh, so, so I learned from, from, from that lesson. And, and what I should have actually done, and, and this is kind of relevant today in a sense, is um, I should have sold that property for 50 and I could have used the money that I had released uh, to buy four houses. I could use it as a deposit for four houses. Those four houses today would be worth about um, 800 each. But, you know, there you go. Um, a missed opportunity. But, 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 you know, moving on, I had... It, I'm a slow learner. So it took, me, it took me a long time for that lesson to sink in. But then when 2007 came around, um, I knew what to do. So um, I was selling a few things for basically, it was a half price sale on some stuff. I was selling stuff at very close to half price. So, so I had stuff that had been priced, uh, which, which I could have easily got 309, 390, 400, say for in uh, 2005, six. And I was selling it for about 25, 210, stuff like that. And I was then buying stuff. So it was okay. So, so, so um, I, didn't, I didn't take the CGT hit. I saved a fortune in stamp. Uh, and 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 I got some wonderful uh, discounts that worked for me. So 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 um, where do we find ourselves now? Well, um, um, the government clearly thought that this was all going to bomb out this month. That was the, that was what. And you know, they're smart fellas. There, they've got a lot of civil servants to help them, and blah blah blah. They see the calculations. We don't. Uh, and 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 send, and then Rishi Sunak made the same mistake. Um, the mistake that Osborne uh, made when he added the the uh, the three percent stamp by announcing it in advance. So Sunak announces, "Hey, do you know, guys, from October, we're not going to have any stamp." And uh, somebody then had a word with him, um, Rishi. What do you think that's going to do to the market between now and then? He goes, 
the and, and, and the stamp came off uh, immediately um and, and thereby avoiding you know what, what's happened twice before because like uh, three years ago whenever it was with that stamp duty three percent hike uh, people were paying ten thousand pounds more for a property to save three thousand pounds in tax it is insane yeah. um and, 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 and so they had to do this thing but the, the downside, it was just imbecilic to, to uh, we've got a very, very fine chancellor, but it wasn't a wise move to announce it in advance. Um, and so the, the sting of that, all he's done is he's shifted the demand uh, into July um, and now it's petered out. It, it, it really has. I mean, I, 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 I spend a lot of time listening to what's going on on the ground. It's over. That boom is over. And uh, properties now, if, if, if you um, spend some time looking at um, all, all the sort of boom, the affluent areas, the Cambridges, the Oxfords, the, 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 the good parts of London, you'll see properties on there that have had maybe 100 grand knocked off the price and have been sitting there for, for a long, long time and will continue to sit there. So, so, so that's over. Um, and, and, and so we're, we're not quite at the buying point yet. Uh, but um, but and, and, and there's usually a lag. This is another thing. There's usually a lag between vendors realizing the market's bombed and adjusting their prices accordingly. And most of them think that conservatory cost me 30 grand. So I'll add that onto what I thought I was going to make. And that's the price. Take it or leave it. And people say, well, you know what? I'll leave it because that one down the road is, is, is better than half the price. And, and, and this, this war kind of starts out at, at the start of these property uh, crashes. And we're seeing this where this one, one person in the street, their nerve uh, isn't steady. I mean, it might be a probate. It might be a divorce. There might be some, the person might be struggling financially. There might be a reason why this property has to be sold. And in order to sell it, they slash that price. And that's the beginning of that downward spiral because then nobody, um, you know, when we talk about, uh, it, it's wrong to talk about below market value because what the last property in that street sold for, that defines the market value. So, so as soon as somebody's nerve cracks, like in a game of poker, that's it, downward spiral. And, and, and that has now 100%, no question about it, started in property in all the sort of affluent um, areas. It's happened. In a lot of the affluent areas, people then pull back. They say, well, you know what? I don't have to sell. I'll just keep it for four years or something. That happens. So, 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 so supply reduces. But, but, but if, if, if people wanted to make a sale now, I mean, you know, uh, whoever's watching, check, check this out in whatever area, in the area where you're living and, and, and do a bit of research on, on Rightmove. I've looked at at least a dozen areas that, that, that I watch and, and, and this, is, this is happening. And, you know, the denials by the estate agents just make it worse, really. Um, but it's not a problem because, you know, you'll then be able to, you, you might have sold, and, and I'm not offering advice to sell your property at 50% off. So let, let's be quite clear about this. But if, if you are able to, to free up some cash, you'll maybe get 60% off if you know how to negotiate off the thing you're buying. And, and, and you know, there will be deep, deep um, um, bargains to be had. Uh, was, was it the bank? I think it was the, the Bank of England that predicted a 16% cut. But for, for the savvy investors who know how to negotiate, they'll much get much deeper discounts. Yes, yes. So there are, I think there are absolutely some opportunities ahead. I think it's a, a case of holding your nerve because we're all influenced by the society in which we live, aren't we? And uh, sometimes that's the media. Sometimes that is, uh, you know, people that we live with, uh, people that we mix with. And the challenge is that what we've got to do, I think, is 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 keep our nerve and stick to a, sometimes a bit of a kind of a belief system um, that, that is based on facts and data. 
rather than what everybody else is doing. And it's very interesting what you say about what you've been looking at some of these higher affluent areas, because certainly in my experience, uh, living in the northwest of the UK, uh, certainly over the summer, as soon as that stamp duty uh, relief was um, announced, we saw prices go up by the same value by which you would have saved the stamp duty, which seemed rather ironic to me. Um, so, you know, <laughs> you, you, you look at the price of a house and you think, well, actually, pre-COVID, it would have been worth, say, 500000 or say 400000 uh, Add on the stamp duty, which maybe would be 12000 uh, maybe maybe 16,000. Oh, now that house is actually up for sale for 420,000. So you're still paying the money, but it's not going to the exchequer anymore, which does actually give me a little bit more satisfaction. However, um, as we know, particularly if you are, a, a, say, a second time buyer, or you're, you're, you're upgrading, or you may be downsizing, uh, property values are very much like having a boat on, on, a, on a river. As the river levels go up, you don't actually really make any more money because you may have to go up by that amount to get a slightly bigger or a better house. And then when they come down again, you haven't you haven't necessarily lost money because it depends what you're going to next. It, they're all relative to one another. But we there is, I do believe, a ripple effect across the UK. Um, and we tend to see this happening. You've been watching some of the bigger cities. I tend to watch the northwest of the UK because that's where we invest um, and where quite a few of my clients invest. So it's very interesting to see that, that that sort of hump in the market has happened. And now what we're seeing is properties languishing on the market. Ones that were maybe on the market before COVID and still haven't sold are absolutely sitting there. And they haven't had that kind of boost of being fresh on the market where you get new views and new new people viewing, um, which sometimes helps to sell a property because it's brand new and everyone gets excited about it. Um, and I think I think absolutely it's about getting ready to buy. And of course, the one thing when we start to hear words like recession or depression, and uh, we understand that you know in, interest rates are very, very low, which is a good thing for borrowing, but it's a worry if you're a saver, if you've got money in the bank, um, this can cause people to feel fear. And so therefore they pull their horns in and they decide, oh, I'm not going to invest yet. I'm not gonna put my money in property because it's gonna be a terrible crash. But of course you can't actually predict, it, a, you can't predict whether there is going to be a crash and B, you can never predict when there is going to be a crash. So what do you do? Do you just sit there and sit on your pile of money, which is slowly depreciating? Even though we have low interest rates, we still have inflation. There is inflation still working to erode the value of that money. So do you sit on your pile of money and wait for the crash? Or do you say, actually, knowing the data in that area, knowing how the, the prices of property uh, in that particular location, I've spotted something which is a bit of a bargain. I can get it because I've got negotiation skills. I can get it at maybe 20%, 25% discount. I'm going to put my money in there now. And there's always a risk that it might not be worth as much next year as it is worth the, where, where I buy it. But actually, you have made an investment. And for me, you, you, when you start investing in property, if you're doing it for cash flow, you're doing it for um, an investment, you have to be committed to it long term because it's long term where you get the benefits. 
What do you Absolutely. Mean? Well, I mean, property is, and, and, and not all investors realize this, property is by and large an illiquid asset. You can't just, um, like, selling shares in Enron or something. You need to dump them pretty quickly, but you can't do that with property. But having said that, on the other side of the coin, uh, property has, has a great deal more value than Enron shares, particularly in, in, in the light of what happened with that particular company. Um, <laughs> but And, and, and um, another thing, you know, is that um, uh, we can't, last time I checked, we can't go to the, go to the bank and borrow three quarters of, of the value of some, some some shares in order to buy those shares. We, we could do that in the 1920s, and that's what caused the great crash of 29. But um, since then, um, that hasn't been a very popular thing anymore. Uh, and, and, and so when you look at, you go on these things called Money Week, um, which are very anti-property, you know, poor fellas, and, and, and you'll see they do all these graphs and everything that, that, that sort of tend to show, they tend to show, you know, property and, 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 and equities going up more or less neck and neck. But when you have to factor in the fact that we're, we're principally bu 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 buying these properties using borrowed money. And so that means that if you're if, if, if you bought a property for 100 uh, and you borrowed 75, so you, you've only got 25 staked in that property. If that property goes up to 125, you've doubled your money. So, yeah. so, 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 so um, that, that's another reason why property works as a much, much better investment than, I mean, like government bonds, uh, you, you're, you're lucky to see the purchasing power at the end of them that the money had when it went in. So, so, so why would you do that? Forex is all, uh, I mean, I'm being a bit generalization here and I am a bit biased, but you know, with Forex, uh, it, it all goes into the, the fees. And, and, and so even if it looks good on paper, it, it, it's all gonna be uh, swallowed up. If you if you invest in a, I'm, I'm being very negative today, aren't I? but really but, but positive in terms of property, if you invest in a property uh, fund, one of these city ones, um, you're going to be paying very, very high charges, uh, and 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 that compounds to to, to reduce uh, your effective return on it. So property, kind of at our sort of level, hands on is 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 the way. And you know, uh, by all means, you know, work with a partner to manage it and to acquire it and source it for you. But you're not going to be paying the fees you would to. I'm not going to mention any of these companies got a bit sued, but these big fund managers uh, who, who have lots of expensive lunches, um, uh, I don't really want to fund their lifestyle. You know what I mean? I do. Absolutely. And I, I agree. I think leverage is the the the, the key that really separates um, the, the, the asset classes. Property has this unique advantage that you can borrow money, you can get a mortgage. Now, I know for a lot of people at the moment, getting a mortgage is tricky, it's difficult. There, uh, the, the restrictions have, have caused banks to be more cautious about lending. They're looking at the risk price profile of the, the borrowers. Um, we know that even if you're buying in a limited company, you, you have to give a personal guarantee very often for any lending that you're, you're, you're taking from that lender. Um, so it's not as if it's it's not necessarily an easy strategy. And I, I think that people getting into property sometimes think that, oh, this is going to be as easy as, uh, you know, I can just open an account and go and view a few properties, make an offer and next week it'll be mine. And unfortunately, it is slower. It does take longer. Um, it is more uh, paperwork heavy than, let's say, just opening an online ISA and starting to uh, buy some stocks and shares. You you can do that in one hour. You you can open an online account, and within an hour, you can start to buy stocks and shares and and see your money go up. And I, I've bought a few uh, shares in companies over lockdown that have absolutely rocketed. And you can probably guess what some of those are. And that that's great. But I have to use my own money to do it. Um, whereas with property. I can buy something and I can either choose to add some value immediately by renovating or by changing it into an HMO, for example, 
And a few months later, I can call up the bank and I can say, oh, listen, could you come and revalue it? And they, they come out and go, oh, Wendy, this is a beautiful property. We've never seen one so nice in this street before. We're, we're going to give you not just the, the value that you paid for it or that you added to it in terms of the renovation cost. We're actually going to give you another 25, maybe even 30 percent higher. So I can end up then having a mortgage, which is 100 percent of everything that I had spent buying it, get all my money out and go again. And that doesn't always happen. Sometimes you, you, you don't achieve that, but there's the opportunity to achieve that. And this is, of course, where property then becomes an infinite return on your cash because you haven't left any cash in the property. Um, but I think that people, they, some, you know, we've got to be we've got to be careful that we don't just see the, the gold that glitters and think I can just get my pickaxe and get it out the ground. It takes a lot of hard work and effort to get there. But long term, it, it's very, very effective. Um, but but you, you know this as well, David. Um, do, do you have any thoughts on the commercial environment? Just just finally, before we, we, we sort of finish for today, I'd like to kind of get your views on uh, the high street and commercial property. Do you have any views about that? Yes, we've still got 20 minutes to go, actually, because I would... I'm looking, I'm looking at the wrong clock. We I'd have like to have a good uh, 60 minutes for everybody. It, it, it's only fair. But um, yeah, let's touch on the on the world of commercial. And, and in fact, um, let's touch on how, how the world has changed forever in a lot of sectors of, of, of property. We'll start with commercial because that's the, the, the one you um, 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 kicked off with here. Now, um, well, uh, it's a very different world we're looking at now to the one at the beginning of March. Uh, and, and, and if you go down the, the, the high street now, I mean, the fact that different categories of Shopton, even Boris got confused the other day, didn't he, at the conference where he couldn't remember <laughs> what was going on in the Northwest. And, 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 and so how on earth are we as citizens be able to, go to keep a track of something that's changing on an hourly basis where the penalties really aren't very great for not doing it? But 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 I suppose that the overall message that we've got is um, that it's scary out there in the shops uh, and, and that affects uh, their, 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 their bottom lines. It, it really, really does. It's very, very frustrating for for. for for those running um, um, businesses, you know, I, I realize that there are other aspects of commercial as well. And we'll touch on those in a minute, but I'm, I'm starting in the high street. Um, so um, the, these non-essential shops, uh, which have been labeled in that way now by government, uh, people are going to think, well, you know, do I really need to buy that, I don't know, uh, cattle, kettle deferring thing that goes in the kettle, which I had to do recently. But, you know, did I go into the shop? No, I ordered it online. And, 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 and this is... Um, a terrific boost for, for the likes of Mr. Bezos and, 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 and Amazon and so forth. Um, and it's really, he, he, here's the thing, going back to, um, as, as I am wont to do, going back to the 19, well, actually we'll go back to the, the Second World War, shall we, um, just for the hell of it. That, that was a big event. Um, and, uh, quite a big event, one that I'm glad we haven't repeated since, um, for, for obvious reasons. Um, in, in the mid-1920s, there was this guy called Alexander Fleming, not Ian Fleming who wrote James Bond. Alexander Fleming was a, had a piece of mouldy cheese, basically. The, the story is well known of how he, he looked at the edge of the cheese and thought, why does the mould stop? And, and then he discovers penicillin. But did he make penicillin? Did he scale this? No, he just stuck a bit of cheese on a shelf. And I bet it's very mouldy by the time it's just dusted off 20 years later. 20 years later, the government revisited it together with that other university, not Cambridge, that other one. I can't, can't quite remember the name. And, <laughs> and, 
they need <laughs> that's the one that's the one they uh, saw this need to scale this thing up because a lot of people were dying in the trenches and everything from diseases that were easily preventable if we could find out how the cheese mold stopped growing so so it was tricky but my goodness they pulled out all the stops like we're doing now with the covid vaccine and they made it happen so my point is that times of crisis make sea changes real huge changes uh, that are going to affect our lives for years and years decades to come thereafter even when the original thing has gone so so some real big changes i can't see them being rolled back are going to happen as a result of of of, of covid and and one of this is is, is going to be the spread of online retail uh, online retail was 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 language languishing in kind of single digits and it kind of doubled just like that and suddenly your your, your online um your offline uh, retailers your tesco's and your asda's and your sainsbury's others are available um they found themselves unable to cope with it uh, and, and they just simply couldn't because they they had a i think tesco were the first online uh, retailer and they had a very very outdated uh, model which was fine in like the 1990s when they started it which is to have some bloke going around the uh, the shop with a shopping trolley putting your shopping into it and then it goes into bags and then it's loaded onto a lorry and some other bloke has to deliver it they've all got to do that for a fiver um so so it's it's a kind of lost leader and they just want us to go in there go in there buy the stuff and burger off very quickly and and, and that's the model um so, so so this online thing was a bit of a nuisance for them and, and and they sort of do it and you know some of the retailers will do when i have my shopping delivered it's a pound because i do in the off-peak slots and all that kind of thing um and, and and this is a lost leader it's about getting market share it's not about winning business the margins are very 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 tight it's hard to see how they can make any money at all out of it uh and then when the need came to scale up in uh, march whatever april um, they weren't able to do it. You had to be on some kind of a high risk register and all that. And I had to go to the shop and, and do the click and collect at that point. They said, oh, no, we've been ordering us for years. But no, 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 you're not high risk enough. So you've got to come in. Um, and um, Mr. Bezos saw an opportunity there. And he, he, he's he been partnering up with people. Um, and um, he recently bought a firm that does driverless cars. Uh, so my uh, thinking is that he's not going to go into head-to-head uh, -head with Tesla because it's not his area. He, he, he's going to have uh, self-powered, self-driving delivery trucks and drones. And I think I'm going to make a prediction here. We'll see whether this one uh, is a bit better than the one I did in November. I predict uh, by 2030, which is not that far away, we're going to have 60% uh, share uh, will be online. So, yeah. so, so that makes quite a big change to the high street because you know we, we used to think that the, the high street would become i don't know nail bars uh, the hair salons and coffee shops well all of those things the three things are not really as as as, as popular as they have been i went into a, a, a coffee shop i think it was last week with my friend fiona and um we had a look round, and there were too many folks and we were both kind of perspiring a little bit and getting a bit nervous and we went out and we went across the road to this big um, steakhouse thing and had a coffee there which which none of the other it's another little david trick of how to conduct your life during during lockdown um and and and, and so you know um these things are not necessarily the things to invest in at the moment they're not necessarily the, the, the big growth areas in the high street so so you know we've seen this fantastic relaxation of, of, of plan by government and, and and that was absolutely and totally the right thing to do because it will let the market 
decide how to repurpose those some um, you know warehouse units those those high street units and th th these things which they know that otherwise we're just going to have boarded up um, um high streets with um like in those western movies where, where the gold rush town where you see that brush rolling along the street and all that kind of thing they've got to inject something in there and it will bring in money for government so it, it, it was a very very good mood we're going to see the high street change in ways that couldn't have been imagined we're going to see the out of town retail parks which were, you know, back in my day in the 70s and 80s, they were the death of the high street. We're going to see them repurposed into goodness knows what. I mean, that's that already happened uh, pre-COVID uh, and all that in, in the States. A lot of these big out-of-town malls uh, were just being converted into, I don't know, big religious retreats or something or golfing theme parks or da 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 that, that already happened because once the anchor tenant, once your Debenhams or whatever and other anchor tenants are available goes, all the little guys then exercise a break clause bang these things are empty very very quickly uh and if, if you've been um is it called tuvid or something this this this, this big owner of, of of retail centers in something like that. i can't remember their name exactly or u2 or something uh, 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 they they had things all around the country they're about 20. They, they 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 pulled the plug and and so so investors in that kind of commercial property would be uh, seriously worried now um so 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 repurposing and then we come to offices that's a big one, isn't it? Now, there's, there's a very big bank, very well-known bank, uh, which has a lot of stuff in Northampton, which um, which um, shut it uh, when lockdown happened. And, and, and they say they have no immediate uh, plans to reopen. And, and a lot of other big financial firms, Schroders, some of the other big high street banks and everything have said, yeah, you know, if the staff like working from home. And I, I rang up HMRC yesterday and I could hear a dog or something in the background. And, and, and you know, I think that's a great thing. <laughs> and, and your, your second biggest cost uh, for businesses ha ha has been the, uh, the, the the floor the floor space isn't it the, the square meterage and um, nobody 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 uh, in the corporate world because that's how it works nobody's going to put their hand up in the boardroom and say I've got this great idea let's send everybody home and think of the money we'll save and and and, and their time on the board would be quite short-lived and, and they'd be literally putting their necks on the line well now for whatever reason you know because of pandemic we've had to do this and we found that the kpis are better and we found that people are more productive at working from home and we found we don't have to pay all that rent so everybody's going to be looking at the break clauses in their commercial uh, agreements and things those who did come back came back for what about a week or something before boris changed tack again and said no, no i think you should be at home no you work at home at work and, and and it's driving everybody insane and it's kind of working if if you're sort of terribly gregarious you'll have to find another way of meeting meeting people sorry because you know these the, the, these working environments are not for the staff to have as a social club you know that they're, they're, they're for the company to work productively hence we had open plan offices and whatever and open plan offices not a very good idea in COVID. um, no. so, um so it's great that we'll be able to repurpose all that commercial space we won't see it all going to residential because there simply aren't enough people in the uk to live in it all um and 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 um so you know so that's my take on on, on the commercial side of it i think you know i mean uh, uh, what's what's your thinking well, I think it's true that we're going to see commercial buildings used differently. I think that's inevitable, um, partly because of social distancing. We're going to see uh, coffee shops and so on going to have to adapt. Um, I think it was Pret-a-Manger, uh, I believe, or no, maybe it wasn't Pret-a-Manger. I can't remember. There was, there was a well-known coffee chain, might have been Costa, who quite early on rec recognised that they were 
obviously not going to have any footfall because everybody was at home. So decided to do a delivery service. So you could order your coffee online and get it delivered. And I think they were doing 20 coffees a week or for, for 50 pounds or something. Um, so I do think the delivery model is a really interesting one. And as you say, I think we're going to see a lot more. We have seen a massive growth in online shopping and online retail. So that let's think about the ramifications of that. Well, of course, if you're buying stuff online, whether it's uh, unless it's coffee, but let's assume it's something that's, uh, you know, less, um, you've know, got less of a sort of sell by date or, or a minute sell by date, clothes, stuff for your house, cleaning materials, etc. That has to come from somewhere. Um, so you're going to have warehouses. And uh, in fact, I have a, a client who uh, runs a very big Amazon business. He has his own warehouse and he's taken on larger warehousing space um, to hold all the items that he needs to be able to retail. So he, he buys at wholesale prices and then he retails them on Amazon and various other sites. And um, Amazon is not the only online shopping site, David. <laughs> You can buy from other sites too, um, but he. Uh, so, so, so I think that's going to be very interesting. That we might see some of these industrial parks growing, and I think possibly industrial sites are going to become bigger because we're going to need more storage. Now, um, obviously, a lot of a lot of stuff that we source at the moment come. We, we we're a net importer in the UK, so that has a that has an impact on the economy, of course. But it also has an impact in terms of where we buy our stuff from. Where do we get our raw materials from? Where do we buy our watering cans from? Or our you know combs? Or um, you know top where, where where does this top come from well it, it may well be made in india and it's 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 possibly then shipped to china and then china does a bulk shipping to the uk and then it gets distributed around the uk so uh in terms of in terms of shipping uh, i think that is that is potentially going to be an area of the economy that actually increases unless we in the uk start to manufacture more now, that would be great because we need to manufacture more. So I would also be looking, and this is probably more medium to long term, um, and, and this is what I would do if I was in government. I'd be looking at helping small businesses to set up, as I mentioned earlier, but I'd also be looking at supporting manufacturing because uh, manufacturing is a, is a very um, defensive but also productive position to be in. And of course, in, if we, you mentioned Japan earlier on. Well, you see, one of the strengths of Japan, of course, it is a massive manufacturing um, country. They are a net exporter. So they export more than they import. And so despite their challenges with their own economy over the last 20 years, the benefit they have had is that they have the yen has been a desired currency because people need it to buy their washing machines and dishwashers and vcrs which no longer do they make but you know whatever it is they make now. <laughs> um televisions um people want to buy those things now the problem with the uk economy of course is that we we don't we're not a manufacturing economy anymore and so i would like to see us develop more factories more manufacturing that I think is going to really be something that, if, again, as I say, if I was in government, that's what I would be uh, putting my money on because that is where we produce. And you, you also mentioned the fact that our, our gross domestic product, our, our turnover, if you like, as a country, has dipped down to, you know, it, I think we lost something like 17 or 18 percent in one month or maybe over, over the period that we were in lockdown. This will still not have gone back up to its normal levels. It can't have done because so many people are on furlough. 
So that has a has an impact on our growth as an economy. It has an impact on our debt and our leverage as an economy and our risk rating as, as, a, as, a, as a country within the world global stage. And so therefore, how can we change that? And, and personally, I'd like to see people starting to say, well, OK, I, I, I might buy some cotton. I, I, I learned some, you know, some, some dressmaking at school. I'm going to start to design some clothes and make some. I'm going to make something. I'm going to make some clothes to sell because that is how people like Laura Ashley started. You know, Laura Ashley was a real woman. Uh, she she started by printing her own cotton in her farm in Wales and sold it to Liberty of London. And Liberty of London was so delighted with the cloth, they started making it up into hankies and napkins and simple things for the home. And this was, of course, in the, the 70s, I think late 70s, early 80s. And I mean, sadly, of course, Laura Ashley has now gone into administration. It's very sad. Uh, and this is, again, the, the, the capitalist boom and bust, unfortunately, that we have, but it's part of our system. But again, Laura Ashley was a manufacturing outlet. You know, it made goods in the UK, it produced them and it distributed them worldwide. So I'd, I'd love to see more of that happening. Now, what does that mean for property? Well, what it means for property is that we might start to see that where those manufacturing hubs, those manufacturing centers start to set up, people will move into those areas. So just as we saw in the, um, as the 19th century, places like um, uh, uh, Lever, where Lever Brothers set up, uh, Lord Lever set up um, Port Sunlight, I was struggling for the name there, uh, which, by the way, if you ever get an opportunity to go, it's an absolutely fascinating place to visit. And the, the art, that the Lever Art Gallery is, Lady Lever Art Gallery is second to none, absolutely mind-blowing art, incredible. Anyway, that's another point. But the point is that he started by manufacturing soap. So his family ran a grocer's shop in uh, Liverpool, I believe, or that somewhere in Burnley, maybe Lancashire. And what they noticed was that they had to, every time a, a, somebody would come into the shop, there was a big lump of soap and they would have to cut up the soap and wrap it up and give it to the, the give it to the customer. And um, Lord Lever, as it, or Mr. Lever, as he was then, realized that actually if he could produce ready-made chunks of soap and soap powder, and of course they, they developed lots more products, that this was a very effective way of selling and it saved a lot of time and it was direct to the customer. And over the next 50 years, his manufacturing business absolutely boomed. And not only did he create this wonderful uh, business uh, on, on the Wirral, which is, you know, to this day, is it's an international company, uh, Lever Brothers, Unilever, as it is now, um, it, he created a lot of homes. So in, if you go to Port Sunlight, you'll see these houses that were created for the workers who worked in the factory, like Cadbury. Cadbury was exactly the same. You know, they came from a, um, a Quaker background. So they very much believed in what they were doing in terms of chocolate production because they didn't do coffee and tea because of the caffeine. So uh, they, they, they did the chocolate production. And because of their their philanthropy and their, their belief in trying to help the people who were producing these items, they produced this amazing Cadbury's village in Bourneville. And I mean, I'm not saying we should necessarily go back to that, David, but I do think that there is a sense in which sometimes manufacturing creates its own culture, it creates its own environment. And I think one of the things that many of us have missed over lockdown is face-to-face -face human contact. And, you know, we're, we're back in that 
semi-situation now. Thankfully, the schools are still operating. But apart from the schools being more normal, I notice the streets, the, 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 the traffic is less, which is actually a good thing, but it's indicative of the fact that we are in our homes more. So to me, manufacturing actually answers an awful lot of questions and risks that we might be running as a country. So long term, I, I think that's going to be very interesting for the property market as well, uh, manufacturing. Um, then the, the other thing I was going to also just mention on that was, of course, the climate. Now, before COVID came along, one of the big issues or concerns, I suppose, was climate change. And, uh, you know, we, we recently, David Attenborough, uh, um, released the, his film about uh, extinction, which is very, very powerful. And while not directly uh, related to, to climate, uh, it, it definitely there are there are some um, links there that that the way that we as human beings have treated our planet has caused a lot of uh, extinction. And part of that has obviously had an impact on the climate as well. Now, it's really interesting when we talk about online services, because what do online services depend on they depend on transport they depend on cars and vans and lorries going up and down the motorways and you know going here there and everywhere and in fact while we were on the call I heard my front door go there's a delivery <laughs> waiting for me now we know that uh, you know carbon and, and and use of fossil fuels is not good long term for the planet um, so this I think is again another problem that is waiting to be solved and I, and I love the idea of using technology drones might be an option then there may be other ways in which we can overcome the changes that COVID has brought and as you say like a phoenix out of the ashes there may be some opportunities here for entrepreneurs to develop and grow new technologies which will be both friendly to the environment and friendly to us as human beings as well. I totally agreed. I mean, that brings us exactly up to an hour, but would you like to go an extra 10 minutes because we touched on so much exciting stuff now? <laughs> I'm easy on this, but, you know, there's a lot to talk well, about. Well, David, I think you're probably the only person in the world who'd like me to talk for a further 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's do that. You've raised such a lot of things there. Now, interesting enough, um, my family had links with, with the other uh, firm, Procter & Gamble. So, you know, it's a small world, isn't it, really? And, yeah. and like, even today, you go into the supermarket, and you see all these this bewildering array of um, uh, washing up powders and things, and it's just all made by those two companies with with, with different labels, and 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 that's a wonderful uh, example of um, 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 branding. But in terms of this world, well. Do you know what? Yeah, last week um, uh, I did, as, as I was wont to do, I went, went into the uh, supermarket to buy some uh, loo rolls. And what do you know? Empty shelves. Again, again. And, and, and astonishingly, um, 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 so the supply chain, which we've come to depend on, and, and I think this started with the American computer company Compaq in the 1980s, this just-in-time thing, which is very profitable for, for, for the big firms. You, you, you tell all your suppliers that they have to be located, you know, 100 yards away from your front door or something. And you tell them, you'll let you let them know the day before uh, what, what you need. And so, so then all the burden of the, the cash flow burden is shifted to the supplier. They have to sort of ha be in charge of sort of predictive manufacturing, guessing how much you're going to require. They've got a story. They've got all these overheads of that kind of thing. And, and you know, our, our supermarket chains, they, they only have about two or three days worth of stuff in the entire system. And, and not all of it is perishable. But there just isn't. And, you know, you go into your big superstore 
Uh, all the stuff is stored out back, but there isn't much out back. Most of it, that's just for unloading the lorries, then it goes straight onto the shelves and, 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 and this kind of thing. So, um, so that's an, an, an extraordinary um, um, thing in a way of, of, of how the whole um, system is structured. And I think we're going to see some fundamental changes. I was talking to a, a, a friend of mine the other day. He was um, one of the five strong group that brought um, the Aldi supermarket to the uh, to, to, to the UK. We haven't, that's one we haven't mentioned yet. Um, yeah. and, um, he, he was saying that one of the, um, the, the, the things they didn't speak about is warehouses. They spoke about distribution centers because the stuff isn't in there very long. It's It's constantly in flux and yeah. um, the big problem that the deliverers have had now is um, now that we are moving inexorably towards uh, getting the stuff online because it's so easy to we're having a chat here while your shopping's arriving you know so you're not mm -hmm. otherwise I had to do it you'd have been pushing your, super, your supermarket trolley I'd have been pushing mine and we'd have been holding our cameras doing selfies and so it's it's a very different world it's very very convenient but these distribution centers have been built right across all the, um, the the supermarkets. They've been built for huge lorries to come in and, and to take a whole supermarket's worth of goods and take it to the supermarket, where it's then put out on the shelves for the um, uh, retail customers to buy. And at the same time, it's packaged up into little things and, 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 and sent to consumers. This is a, 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 re a this model needs an, an extraordinary shakeup for it to happen. But I think um, the uh, so, so you know that that's a, that's a historical model. You know we, we need to be in a sense you know more, more like Amazon or whatever. But we also need to source stuff locally. During lockdown, there's a lovely street here in in, in Mill Road. And next time uh, you and your partner up here, I'll give you a guided tour. It's called Mill Road. It's very sort of ethnic. It's it, it, it's all local shops, and nobody else gets a look in. And over lockdown, all the local shops get got together to have you know people on mopeds and everything discuss. Distributing all their stuff so that so that they could carry on trading. It was a wonderful model, and I think we're going to see localization. And um, it's time to talk about Star Trek, that um, thing with the pointy ears, live long and prosper. How do you do it? Live long and prosper, something like that. <laughs> that's heavy metal, I think that one. Yeah, that's the one. Heavy metal is that one. Um, <laughs> so, um, so that's the one. So, so they, they used to have these machines where they 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 they'd, they'd press a button and suddenly a coffee cup would appear with coffee in it and they'd drink it and, and all that sort of thing. Now, um, manufacturing is going through an absolute sea change, which it was going through anyway before COVID happened. Um, and the cost of the stuff we make, the cost of the things we do is going to come down by a factor of about 10. So your average American to maintain their lifestyle by 2035 will be able to do this for 250 bucks a month. Now, whether those cost savings will be passed on to the consumer or, or, or whether the rich cat, the fat cats will get fatter, it remains to be seen. But this is a huge change. And the kind of machines and things, you know, 3D printing and all these kind of things and, 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 and making things at a sort of sub-molecular level. I mean, uh, is it Burger King? One of these um, things has got a thing called the Imagine Burger now which um, it oozes blood when you bite it and all this kind of thing and it, it sizzles and whatever, but it's all grown from a test tube. Um, and and, and it, it's, although the cost saving there hasn't been passed on to the consumer, it costs about 10 cents to make the bloody thing. So, so, and, and doesn't have the environmental impact. So we're going to see these huge changes. I mean, I, I, looking up at my roof, I've got some solar panels. I don't know about yours. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so increasingly, uh, and, and Tesla's done some wonderful work on batteries. Increasingly, you know, we're not going to have a national grid anymore. We're not going to have that stuff. Uh, our homes will be self-contained in, in, in that thing because the next generation of that tech that's going to be on our roofs will be 50 times more efficient than it is now. So we'll be driving electric vehicles. Um, so time to sell those shares in the power companies. Sorry, 
fellas, you know, because that won't be needed. And, 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 and that's an extraordinary thing. We won't be having any new fossil fuel cars from, I think, is it 2030? You know, so, so all change, all change, all change, which is good. Um, and, 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 and that will bring the focus back to communities. I think f for now, you know, each town will have its own replicator or something where you can go and get anything. You can print a house or whatever it might be, literally, um, uh, which will be kind of standard construction-ish. I mean, now they're a bit crude, those things, but th those technologies over the next 10, 15 years are really going to come to the fore. And, and, and so we won't have this sort of global trading anymore. And I think that's a, that's a wonderful thing for the environment because we won't have all these freighters going around and, da, 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 and, 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 and you know, so I see rosy times ahead. And, and, and sort of the, the, the final thing I'd like to come, come back to, to today is some uh, residential housing. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, on, on that moving forward? Or shall I give you my thoughts first? And, uh, what, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm sort of happy to share, uh, David. Obviously, I keep a very keen eye on the on the residential property market, and particularly what people ask me about is HMOs, of course, which is you know the the, the thing that I probably talk about more and and, and think about more than probably any other uh, type of housing. And what do I think is the outlook for HMOs and and I suppose uh, other residential property? So maybe if I just talk about that first, is that okay? So um, what. Yes, HMOs, obviously, they have, they're, they're a sort of unique kind of asset class because you're talking about various different members of different, di these different individuals are counted as their own individual households. So you've got five, six, seven individual households in one household. Um, and they go out to work or they might be staying in it, uh, working from home. Um, and they've got to find a way through this to live together and, and, and happily coexist. And what we tend to see with uh, people who are living in HMOs is that um, many of them are uh, single individuals. You know, they don't have a family. They're, they're, they're not married. Some of them might have a partner who, who lives somewhere else. Um, many of them are living in an HMO for work purposes uh, although for some of them it's also because of leisure and friends and family and, and or maybe it might be an area they've grown up in but they've left home and now they're this is their sort of first step on to maybe getting their own uh, accommodation um, but what's been really interesting for us over COVID is kind of looking at some of the trends first of all we've seen uh, an upward trend in demand uh, in our area so we invest in Stoke-on-Trent and Crewe in South Cheshire both very working class areas you know fairly industrial um, Crewe is going to be the uh, hub for HS2 uh, and we've started to see a little bit of signs of life of that happening slowly but there's things happening there uh, Stoke obviously it's got a very big pottery manufacturing history now it's more bet 365 is there <laughs> the 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 um, the country's most uh, wealthy woman uh, lives just down the road from us um, so yeah now it's betting and um, we have various call centers and uh, there's actually a very large there's a very large teaching hospital there as well so the type of tents that we have um, hasn't really altered particularly a lot of them are blue collar some white collar workers but we're finding that the demand for living in HMOs has actually increased which has been very interesting to us so um, we've seen more people uh, actually decide they, they were living in the area already so they're not necessarily moving into the area now again a year ago 18 months ago we saw more of that but I think with Brexit on the horizon we may be seeing that reducing slightly. So I think that's more to do with Brexit than it is to do with COVID. But what we are seeing is people who have lived in flats or lived alone in a house 
And actually, they've become very isolated. They've, they've felt lonely. They, their mental health has been somewhat affected. And they actually want to live in a nice shared house. Now, admittedly, you know, we're not talking about shared houses that we might have seen in the 1980s and the young ones. You know, we're talking about nice properties that are, are, are refurbished to a really nice standard. They often have en suites. Uh, they might have a kettle, maybe a little mini fridge in, their, in their, their own bedroom, or they might put them in if there isn't one there already. So the accommodation is of a high standard to start with. That's always attractive for people. Um, but secondly, the fact that there are all inclusive bills. I think that at this time, you know, people are looking for convenience. You, you mentioned this earlier with shopping. And I think this is true of living, that we are becoming more of a, a nation that wants convenience when it comes to living. So offering a, a one price for the whole month that includes all your bills plus a cleaner every couple of weeks. This is actually what suits people because it means they're not having to sign up to council tax. They don't have to set up a direct debit for the electricity and the gas and all the other utilities. And it's it's much, much easier for them to to live in those kind of environments. So. I, I think from that point of view, HMOs has really got a lot to offer. And I think that people who maybe have uh, dismissed them because they see them as a lot of extra work, which they are definitely more work than, let's say, a single buy to let. But of course, there's more profit in it as well. So you can always employ somebody who could help you to, to run the business, which is which is what we do. Um, so I, I actually think there's going to be a huge amount of um, po future possibility with HMOs. I, I think I think we're again, we're just maybe beginning to enter a slightly new phase with HMOs where the more. Uh, the, the, the better refurbed ones, the, the higher quality ones are going to really be uh, the preferred option for a lot of people and making it easy for people to move in. I mean, the biggest flat sharing website, which is Spare Room, um, indicates that most people who are looking to move into a, an HMO are looking within one week. They want to move, you know, today's Thursday. They want to be in their new home by next Thursday. They want a quick turnaround. Now, in the buy-to-let market, it's much slower than that. Usually, people are looking within a month. They'd like to find somewhere to move to. They then give notice to their current landlord. That might be a month, and then they will move. So the speed of transaction is much faster in an HMO than it is in a single buy-to-let. And that in itself reflects a bit more about, if you like, some of the speed of other transactions that are taking place in our daily lives, such as shopping, deliveries, and so on. We've got used to things being a bit more instantaneous. And I think HMOs actually reflect that, that, that mindset of people that they make a decision, they want it now. Um, in terms of the residential property market, um, well, again, we're looking at statistics recently from various different sources, the, the letting market is buoyant. Um, more and more people are looking to, to, to rent properties. And again, I suspect some of that has come from people deciding that they don't want the current property that they, they maybe owned. Uh, so, so again, what, what I spoke to an estate agent yesterday, and he said that he's got quite a few um, contacts or, 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 or customers, I suppose, who have decided to sell their main property, release some capital from that property and invest in rental. And they themselves are now moving into rental property because the rental property gives them more flexibility. Maybe it's got a garden or it's got a home office, which their own owned property didn't have. So. Again, it's a very interesting way of life that 
people are realizing that to to utilize capital wisely, they don't necessarily want it tied up in their main family home anymore, which again, I think is is going to become a growing trend. Uh, some a fascinating insight, and it's, it's great to see so many people watching today. And, and, and hello, and thank you to everybody for, for, for joining us. And um, I mean, not too much to, to, to add to that, really, except that um, uh, people's requirements are changing. You don't need to live in, in, in a tiny studio flat in central London anymore because you're working from home. And the reason you were living there before is because so you could walk across the street to your to your place of work. Uh, and, and so that's a big shift. And uh, having been locked down to the point of um, insanity, and so, sorry for those noises, I don't know whose computer they're on, but anyway, never mind, please ignore them. Um, it's okay, it's just not, not a problem. Um, I, you, you don't anymore need to, um, to, to be located close to work. And I think that's something that's likely to continue because uh, companies looking at their bottom line have realized that you don't need the employees all the time. And when you do have them in, you can take them to a coffee house for the afternoon or something and just, just, just sit around a table. You know, in, in, in many cases, there, there, there are obviously some hands-on businesses, but, you know, even our, I was having a, a, a chat about this to, to a friend of mine who's a futurologist the other day. And I said, we'll always, we'll always need bin men. And he said, well, funny you should mention that because, you know, with our 5G connected world, 5G is a very responsive technology and it's nothing to do with COVID or anything like that, all that nonsense that people have been spouting. Um, but um, what it will enable you to do is um, you'll have one guy sitting in HQ uh, controlling 20 bin lorries and, and, and dealing with any issues that, that, that turn up and there'll be no crew. And, and, and so these are very, very big changes. So, and, and, and eventually there's no reason why he won't be sitting in a... So these things um, about... Time is pressing now, but we'll just 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 to, to, to sort of wrap it very, very quickly. Uh, let's continue our chat because this was a fascinating chat. We've got loads of people watching today. It was um, terrific. And I'm, I'm, I'm very honored to have been in, in, invited, uh, Wendy. Let's continue this chat sometime soon because it's going into lots of very exciting areas. Absolutely, David. I could I could chat to you for a long time. There's so many things that I, I, I love to get your opinion on different things. There's there's things about the economy that I could I could I could talk about forever. Um, we haven't even touched on inflation, which is my big topic of the of the of the moment. But we will do that another time. So, um, you know, it's been absolutely great to, to connect with you. And this is, of course, where technology does have the edge, doesn't it? Ten years ago, we couldn't have done this. So, uh, yep. you know, thanks to technology, we we're able well. to meet virtually today. Do stay on the line, Wendy, but thank you everybody for watching. We're switching the, uh, the live off now, so thank you so much. Thank you.